Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Activate God's Purpose, where we yield our humanity to God's divinity. Today I want us to talk about the man called Mordecai in the book of Esther. Everyone talks about Esther. All we ever hear about is Esther. If Mordecai is ever mentioned in a conversation or teaching or preaching, it's because someone is talking or preaching about Esther. And so all the time, every time, all we hear is Esther, Esther, Esther. So here's a question that came to me. What would Esther be without Mordecai? Who would Esther be without Mordecai? Matter of fact, I dare say or dare to ask the question, would she even be alive? Would she even be mentioned if it were not for Mordecai? Let me tell you why I asked that question. In the book of Esther, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, now there, was, now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem, by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with jo- Jehoachin, king of Judah, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. It was Mordecai who kept Esther alive. It was Mordecai who raised her, gave her wisdom, gave her understanding. It was Mordecai who protected her. It was Mordecai who kept her. So who would Esther be without Mordecai? But everyone talks about Esther. We all preach and teach about Esther. When we talk about favor, we talk about the favor of Esther. But the favor actually started with God using Mordecai to take Esther in and to take care of her and to be a father and a guide and a protector of her to the point where she became a beautiful young woman. And that favor that Mordecai showed Esther followed her into the throne room and the bedroom, and the heart of the king. But it took Mordecai. 
How many of us can say we have had or we have a Mordecai in our lives? How many of us can say honestly that if we had had a Mordecai in our lives, our lives would be different? Mordecai represents a type of man, a type of man that will take and protect, and guard, and teach, and polish, and make one skillful, and, and, and give one wisdom, and knowledge, and understanding, and give one character. It doesn't, it's not easy to come across men like Mordecai. It takes a type of man to work a system. It takes a type of man to work another man, another king, another man of mental, spiritual, and emotional stature. It takes a type of man to work on a man who has a higher level, a high position, um, uh, to work on a man who has power. It takes a type of man to understand that kind of man with that kind of power as the king had in, in Esther. And to be able to raise someone that a king, such as the king of that time, would welcome and love and marry and give her anything she wanted. He told Esther, he said, ask me for half the land, I'll give it to you. Where did Esther find the skill to win, to win the king to that effect? Because she had a Mordecai in her life. He taught her, he trained her, he showed her humility, he showed her submission, he showed her power, he showed her insight, wisdom, when to speak, when not to speak, what to say, what not to say, in whose presence to say what, in whose presence to not say what, when to express and when not to. Hmm. Bear with me as I go through this slowly because it's a lot. So the king gets rid of Vashti to cut the long story short. You know, read the book of Esther and you see that the first queen, Vashti, misbehaved because she got carried away with her beauty. You cannot get carried away with your beauty. There are certain men that you meet. They are so powerful spiritually, mentally, emotionally, it will take more than your beauty to win their hearts. It will take more than your beauty for them to give you a second look. It will take more than your beauty for them to stay with you and take you seriously. 
Such men still do exist, yes. Esther was beautiful, but there were many other beautiful girls. But what made her stand out? She had a Mordecai in her life. In Esther chapter 2 verse um, 8, Let's, no, let's go to verse 9. It says, um, she pleased him. Wait, I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 8. When the, king's order, when the king's order and edict or edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai who had charge of the harem. She pleased him. So even before pleasing the king, you had to go through Haggai. Haggai was in charge of the harem of the king. And if you couldn't please him, if you didn't find favor with Haggai, there was no way you were going to get through to seeing the king. She had been raised so well with, by Mordecai that even Haggai, she pleased. The verse 9 says she pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, immediately, look at that. He provided her with her beauty treatments. See, as beautiful as she was, the king was a type of man. Because of his stature, mental, emotional, spiritual stature, he needed a type of woman. And so it took a type of man to raise a type of Esther for such a king and for such, and for such a time as that. It took a Mordecai to raise Esther for Esther to even be liked and favored. Not even the king, not by the king, but by his man who tended his harem. Hmm. And he says, he assigned her to seven female attendants. So not only did he give her beauty treatments, you see, it goes beyond the makeup. It goes beyond the wig. It goes beyond the implants. It goes beyond the perfume. It goes beyond... I don't know what else is out there these days. It goes beyond all that. Gives her beauty treatments. Yes, she's beautiful, but he gave her the beauty treatment. And then he assigned seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place, into the harem. The beauty treatments were not enough. She needed to be with a certain type of people and she needed to be in a certain type of place so that she could be groomed into becoming a queen or the queen. And the Bible says in verse 10, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai, had forbid, forbidden her to do so. 
Mordecai was strategic. When do you reveal? When do you not reveal? The first day is not the time to reveal everything. This, the second week is not the time to reveal everything. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you as to when to reveal what. It says, every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. So he was very strategic. He kept an eagle eye on Esther. He was always at the gate, always close by, always at the courtyard of the harem. He walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. He was watchful. A Mordecai, a type of man, a type of this man Mordecai was, is a, is a watchful man. He, eagle eyes, sharp, paying attention. He had a purpose. There was a reason why he was the way he was. He was focused. He had to be focused so that he could seize the moment. A moment that even Esther did not understand. A moment that even Esther could not fathom. But Mordecai knew that a moment was coming. That there would be a time for divine strategy. There would be a time to fight certain battles certain people. And so, this man, Mordecai, it takes his type of man to take positive and constructive advantage of a situation, of a circumstance, of a particular setup and environment. It takes a man like Mordecai There's something about a man like Mordecai who is so focused that he's pregnant and drunk with a mission and a vision. There were things he could not explain to Esther, but he knew well enough to know that. Even if he did not fully understand God's plan, he knew fully well that this was a time to seize the moment and place her strategically within the king's palace, within the king's harem. Even if she had to start in the area of the harem, it was fine. Because why? From there, she could get to the top. So he paid attention and made sure he stayed close by to Esther. We talk about Esther all the time. We don't talk about Mordecai, the sacrifices he made, how watchful he was. And it says, um, let me, um, okay, let me say this. So there's something about him. Mordecai typifies, Mordecai represents men, men who carry visions, men who carry a dream. He represents men who carry the plans of God, the mission and vision of God, the destinies and and purposes 
that God has planned for his people or for a certain people. All of us need a Mordecai. Difficult to find, but they exist. May God lead us to a Mordecai. You can be a man and you need a Mordecai. You can be a woman and you need a Mordecai. A Mordecai is that type of man who always knows and understands with every breath that God has a plan. God has a divine strategy. And in due season, God will use him to birth that plan and birth that strategy. There's something about a Mordecai. This Mordecai works in a level of, in a level and a realm of spiritual, mental, and emotional maturity. And it can discern and interpret situations. And when he discerns and interprets a situation, he knows what to do. He knows how to act. He can strategize, he can give advice, and he can lead the way. The Bible says, in Esther chapter 2, verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted. You see, the Bible repeats it, that the young woman that Mordecai had adopted. When the Bible repeats something, it means pay attention to that. So even the Bible is emphasizing Mordecai. The daughter of his uncle, Abihail, or Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than Haggai, the, king, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem. Let me read that again. When the turn came for Esther, the, woman, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihil, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. You see, Mordecai had, taught Han, um, Mordecai had taught Esther to pay attention. And so having been trained by Haggai, the king's eunuch, remember, she couldn't get to the king if she could not fulfill, or please, uh, sorry, if she could not, uh, um, yes, fulfill the mandates of his eunuch, Haggai. Or if his eunuch Haggai did not like her, there was no way Esther was going to go see the king or even find favor with the king. And so here it's saying in verse 15 that she, 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 went, she did as Haggai said. She, she asked for what he suggested that she asked for. She had been trained by Mordecai to pay attention, to know what to say when to say it. And so she paid attention to this eunuch. And so when the time came for her to go to the king, what did she do? She repeated what Haggai had taught her. She spoke as Haggai had taught her. She made suggestions as Haggai had taught her. Now, where could she have developed this skill and this type of character and wisdom? It must have been because she, Mordecai had groomed her. He had groomed her to be that smart. 
that insightful to know that when I'm taken before the king, when I'm taken to go to the king, I better make sure that I say the things that Haggai taught me to say. I'm going to say this, you know, a lot of uh, young people, a lot of young women don't have that skill anymore. The skill and the wisdom to listen to an older person who has lived life and who is passing on wisdom, knowledge, skill, and character. Younger folk these days don't understand the depth of that. They don't understand the value and how precious that is. Now it's don't listen to your parents. There's no barrier between you and adults. People, you know, Adults don't know everything. They don't understand. Who cares? Talk to them any which, any which way you like. And society has taught them to be that way. And what it has done is it has denied a culture of passing on golden nuggets, a culture of passing on pearls, a culture of passing on wisdom. And we wonder why they behave the way they do and why they are the way they are. Thank God Esther paid attention to Mordecai. And because she paid attention to him, she won the favor of the king's eunuch. Not only did she win the favor of the king's eunuch, she studied him, she studied his words, paid attention to his teaching so that when she was being brought to the king and asked to speak, she made the suggestions which she learned from Haggai to make to the king or in the king's court. And the Bible says, still on Esther chapter 2, verse 9, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal, lip, lip, with, sorry, with royal liberality. You see the favor that came upon her. But why? What was the root of it? It was the root of having a Mordecai in her life. It was the effect of having a Mordecai in her life. The Bible says, still um, Esther chapter 2, verse 19, when the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had taught her to do. She paid attention. She listened. She obeyed. She submitted. Unfortunately, these days we think that submission is weakness. It's actually very powerful. Very, very powerful. It's quiet power. It's quiet wisdom. It's an art. It's a skill. People think asserting power is power. No, no, no. Watch the person 
who is quiet, who knows who they are and what they are and what they're capable of, but they don't act on it. They wait for a strategic time, a strategic moment, and the power begins to flow. Not the one making noise. The Bible says empty vessels make loud sounds. The quiet one, the one who doesn't show himself, show herself, but they know who they are and they know whose they are and they know who their God is. They know how they were raised and why they were raised. They know when to speak and when not to speak. When to act and when not to act. Never losing sight of who they are. Never losing their identity. She knew who she was. Mordecai ensured that Hannah, I'm, I'm sorry, why do I keep saying Hannah? Oh, I spoke about Hannah yesterday. <laughs> Mordecai ensured that Esther knew who she was, groomed her in who she was, groomed her in who her God is. These days we leave our children to, you know, just be you, do whatever you want. And we don't even talk about God. We don't talk about Jesus. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit to them. We must, we should. Even if it appears as though they're not paying attention, they are paying attention. They are. And when they grow up, they'll come back to their God. God forbid they go astray. If they do go astray, they will come back to him. So Esther did not forget her God. Esther did not forget Mordecai. She did not become queen and forget. It was ingrained in her who she is who her family is, what her background is, who her God is, what her nationality is. It says, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. She continued. She did not disown her uncle. She did not disown her heritage. She did not disown her God. Wisdom. Very, very wise young lady. But why? Because she had been groomed by a man called Mordecai. There's something about a man, about Mordecai. He's able to discern. He's able to strategize. He's able to lead. There's something about Mordecai. He can impart wisdom. He can impart skill. He knows how to navigate people. He knows how to navigate very tricky, very tricky situations. He knows how to navigate emotions, politics, human beings, sticky situations, spiritual situations. He knows how to navigate. Why? I believe that is because Mordecai understood time spent with God understood learning from God, understood being trained by the Holy Spirit, being taught and directed by the Holy Spirit. And even though his people had been captured, even though they had gone through Babylon, even though his ancestors had been captives, it didn't make Mordecai lose who he is in his God. And he passed that on to Esther. The greatest thing we can ever pass on to anyone is God, is Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. And so 
There's something about him, something about Mordecai. He will face difficult situations. He will face life-threatening situations, but he will not bow to them. He will not bow to them. He was faced with Haman in the book of Esther, but he refused to bow to Haman. He refused to bow to him. He was challenged by Haman. He refused to bow to Haman. There's something about that type of self-confidence, that type of God-like confidence. That kind of confidence comes from God. Hmm. We thank you, Lord. I'm trying to look for the scripture where it describes that Mordecai would not bow. Hallelujah. So here it says in uh, chapter 2, verse 21, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, remember, Mordecai was always watching. There's something about a man who is always watching, who is always paying attention. He's always alert. He knows where to be, when to be there. He was always at the king's gate. First, he was at the courtyard where, Hannah, um, where Esther was being groomed. He was at the courtyard all the time, watching to see what was happening to her caring for her, being there for her. There's something about knowing that there's a Mordecai who has your back. So chapter 2, verse 21. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Esther, faithful, did not become queen and remove herself from her uncle Mordecai. She remembered who raised her. She appreciated who raised her. And when it was time to give him credit, when it was time to lift him up, she did. So the Bible says, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the true officials, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. Chapter 3. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the nobles. All the royal, royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Mordecai probably had already discerned who this Haman was. Mordecai had maturity 
insight to read and study people. He knew what was what. He knew who was who. And he refused to bow down to Haman. Mordecai's don't bow to evil. Mordecai's don't give in to evil. Mordecai's bow to God. They protect their own and they fight evil. They see evil. They know evil when they see evil. They know they know cunning people when they see cunning people. They know tricksters when they see tricksters. They know people who are obsessed with and possessed by devils and demons and Satan. They know how deceptive they can be. They know that such people would trade the souls of other people in a heartbeat. And so he knew that Esther was in danger. He knew that he was in danger. And he knew that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people in those times were in danger. Oh, how awesome it is to have a Mordecai in one's life. Someone who can see ahead of you. Someone who knows more than you know. And is not shaken. And will not bow to the storm. Will not bow to evil. Will not bow to demons. Will not bow to idols. Will not bow to the situation or circumstance. He refused to bow to that spirit of Haman. That murderous spirit, treacherous spirit. Mordecai refused to bow. Chapter 3, verse 3. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Day after day, he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. So now Mordecai had revealed that he's a Jew. He revealed his identity and yet was still unafraid. It was time to reveal his identity. And he didn't care. He was not going to bow down to Haman. You're going to know who I am And you're going to know that I don't fear you. And you're going to see that I will not bow to you. Because you know that I know who you are. You know that I know what you are and what you're capable of. You and I both know that you are deceptive. Haman, so I, Mordecai, will not bow down to you. I know for a fact that people like you exist. It endangers my my niece's life. It endangers my people's lives. It endangers my heritage. It endangers my life. It endangers anything that God has his hand on. So no, Haman, I will not bow to you. Verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Of course he was, because such people are peacocks. They want people to bow down to them. They want people to worship them. Every and anything that they say goes. How dare you have an opinion, a thought, or an idea? Bow to me, Mordecai. But Haman was talking to the wrong man. Because this Mordecai, God bless him. Wow, what a powerful guy. Fearless. Refused to bow to him. He said, no way. I am not going to pollute 
my anointing. I am not going to pollute who God has made me. I am not going to pollute what God has said about me, my niece and my people and bow down to you, Haman. You murderous spirit, you lying spirit, you deceitful spirit, you hurtful spirit, you proud and arrogant and cocky spirit. I will not bow to you. So Haman was enraged. Verse 6, Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. See? He's angry at Mordecai. So Mordecai read Haman correctly because look at what um, Haman's about to do. He's about to say, oh, I'm not only going to kill Mordecai. I I don't just want him killed. Now I want all his people killed. It says, instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes, which also means that at some point, Esther would be found out, right? And Esther would be killed as well. So Mordecai was protecting not just Esther, but his people. See, there was a bigger plan. There was a bigger destiny, a bigger divine purpose, a bigger, a much larger agenda. It went beyond Mordecai. It went beyond Esther. And Mordecai knew that. So we skip some of the, what happened in chapter 3 and let's go to, verse, um, to chapter 4, Esther chapter 4, verse 1. This was, if you read uh, um, chapter 3, you see that some terrible things had happened and that Haman had been trying to exercise this murderous spirit of his, wanting to kill, now ready to kill, looking for blood to kill the people. He wanted to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, and children. If you look at um, Esther chapter 3, verse 13, he was ready to wipe them out, annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So not only kill them, wipe them out in a single day. Can you imagine wiping out a whole nation in a single day? And then the greed, after killing them, murdering them, was his plan. The next thing he wanted to do was to take all their goods. Hmm. Wickedness. So he sent out couriers. And the king, unknown to him, thought that Haman was doing something great for his kingdom. The king didn't have all the information. Then Mordecai heard. Mordecai heard. And he goes to Esther. This is the moment he had groomed her for. This is the time that he had groomed her for. In chapter 4, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, He tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth and ashes, and went out into into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. Oh, he wasn't going to keep quiet. See, this, this man was unashamed to show his raw emotions. He was unashamed to wail on behalf of his people. He was unashamed to wail on behalf of God. 
he was unashamed to will on behalf of his niece. His people were about to be wiped out in a day. This was not a time to, to smell good, to look good, to wear the best pair of jeans. This was not the time to wear the best cologne. This was not the time to go and get the best haircut. This is a time to cry out. This is a time to will before God bitterly. And he didn't hide it. He did it openly. He took off his clothes. He put on a sackcloth and clothed himself with ashes in protest. Verse 2, but he went only as far as the king's gate. The king's gate would stop him because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter. And um, so he, he, he removed the garment that may have allowed him to enter through the gate. And he put on the garment that stopped him from entering. Why? He needed that garment. He needed the sackcloth and the ashes to protest, to make noise, to cry out bitterly, to raise awareness of what was about to happen to his people. And so Esther chapter 4 verse 4 says, When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She had good upbringing. She didn't say, well, that's his problem. I'm enjoying the pleasures of being a queen. Uh, Mordecai can scream and cry and will and wear sackcloth and ashes as much as he likes. It's not my problem. What has that got to do with me? She didn't say that. He had raised her well to be responsible. He had raised her well to know when to sit up and stand up and do the right thing. He had raised her to a point where she, she wasn't carried away with her beauty and her perfumes and her royalty and her position and her title. She wasn't carried away by the material things that she now possessed. No, her heart was in the right place. Because Mordecai had raised her well. She had a Mordecai in her life. So she sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. This is still Esther chapter 4 verse 4. He wouldn't accept the clothes. He said, no, Esther. Then Esther, verse 5, then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, Assigned to attend. Sorry, let me read that again. So Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So first she just wanted to cover her uncle's nakedness. Like, what on earth? Why is he exposing himself this way? Before thinking about, okay, what happened? So her, her first concern, her major concern was him. Which, rightly so. This is a man who raised her. This is a man who cared for her. Is he naked? Go get me some clothes. Is it covered in ashes? Go wash it off for him. Clean him up. And then when he refused, she said, okay, please go ask him why. What's going on? Chapter 4, verse 6. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him 
including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict or edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. It was time. It was time, people. It was time for what Esther had been raised for. But it took a Mordecai to give her the instructions to raise her. It took a Mordecai to, to stand up against Haman, Haman and his plans, to stand up against Haman's viciousness and wickedness and greed. It took a Mordecai. And so he gave her instructions through Hathak, the eunuch. He said, go and tell Esther to tell the king to have mercy on us and plead with him for her people. Plead with him for, for their people. And if we go down to verse 14, still on chapter 4. So let's read verse 12 actually. Verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai. Actually, let's go up for better understanding. I'm sorry, let's go to verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has, put, has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. But you know, Mordecai knew that this moment would come and he was ready. And even if Esther did not understand that she was ready, Mordecai knew that Esther would be ready. It's okay for Esther to be a little afraid. It's okay for her to be nervous, a little anxious. The law of the land says yes. Any man or woman who approaches the king without being summoned. The king has just one law, and that would be what? To put the person to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. Verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He said, Esther, don't fool yourself. No matter how much the king loves you, when he finds out who you are, when Haman influences him against you, when this edict, if it comes to pass, you too, Esther, will be put to death. Don't play with this, Esther. This is serious. This is life and death. And it includes you as well. And so, He's plain with her, he's honest with her, he's frank with her, he's blunt with her. May God give us Mordecai's who will cause us to see things as they are. Who will cause us to come out of our stupor, 
who will cause us to come out of our foolishness, who will come cause us to come out of our our flesh, our fears, who will cause us to come out of, uh, um, you know, building false pictures and false images of what could happen or what could not happen. Thank God for Mordecai's who will cause us to see the truth, the reality. Not just see, but face the truth, acknowledge the truth. In verse 14, he continues to say, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. In other words, God will find another way to save his people. You, Esther, have been opportuned and raised and groomed for this time. You have been gifted for this time. You have been empowered. You have been been given skill and wisdom and insight for this time. You have been nurtured and trained for this time. But if you decide to not help me, Mordecai, if you decide to not help our people, Esther, God will surely find a way to deliver. The question now is, Esther, Will you allow what you have been groomed for, what you have been gifted for, what you have been purposed for, what you were kept alive for to come to pass? Will you allow that to happen? Or does God have to go find another way? Does God have to go find someone else? When you are already in the position to help. Thank God for Mordecai's who can see the gift and the strength and the power that God has put in a person. And he says, and who knows? Let's read from verse 14 again. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish And who knows, but that you have come to, I'm sorry, let me just read that again. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He says to her, who knows, Esther, although I believe he knew, But it was just a way of him reminding her and questioning her that do you realize, do you know that you were born and raised and appointed for a time such as this? Thank God for Mordecai's who understood the times. Thank God for Mordecai who understood her fear but who helped her to push past her fear who helped her to push past the politics, who helped her to push past being paralyzed by anxiety, crippled by distress. So in verse verse 16, in verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Verse 16, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa 
and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. You see, Mordecai demonstrated in his wailing, in his sackcloth, in his sackcloth, he demonstrated to Esther to pray, to cry out. He demonstrated to Esther to fast. And so now, he demonstrated to Esther to not be fearful. And so now, it was time for her to copy her uncle. It was time for her to imitate her uncle. He showed what to do. He showed her how to behave. He showed her how to call out to God. He showed her how to be a daughter of the Most High. He showed her, and if you're a man, we could say he showed him how to be a son of the Most High God, this Mordecai. And so the example he gave her was what she followed, and she even caused her attendants, the people who took care of her in the king's palace, to also fast and pray. She said, we will fast as you do. She knew her uncle. She knew he would fast and pray. She knew he would gather the people to fast and pray. And so, uh, I mean, I mean, just, we always talk about Esther. We always, always talk about Esther. People use her in so many, I cannot even imagine how many teachings and preachings are out there about Esther. But here Esther herself is saying to Mordecai, I and my attendants will fast as you do. Esther knew where her strength came from. Esther knew where her favor came from. It came from God through Mordecai. It came from God through Mordecai. And she was smart enough to hold on to that. She was smart enough to trust that. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Remember, anyone who goes to the king against the law without being announced or summoned by the king, without being summoned by the king, would die unless the king stretched out his scepter to save their lives. So now it's time to risk her life. But she had a Mordecai in her life, encouraging her, who had raised her and built her to not fear for a time such as this. A Mordecai in her life who had groomed her to say, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai. Mordecai. And the Bible says 
in verse 17. We're still on chapter four, chapter 4, and we're on verse 17. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So Mordecai, you see his humility here. He gives her instructions, even says to her, if you don't do it, God will find another way to do it. But she complies and she says, I will do as you do. And then she, you know, she sent the message to him and says, okay, you all go fast. Three days, night and day, fast. And then I will go face the king. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai doesn't say to her, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell us how many days to fast, when to fast? Why don't you just get up and go? I've given you, you an instruction. Get up and go meet the king. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I'm your uncle. I'm above you and you're beneath me. How dare you give me instructions? No, he collaborates with her. He, he, he doesn't underestimate. He doesn't underestimate what is in Esther. God used him to put it there. So he understood the power she carried and he wasn't intimidated by it. He understood the power she carried mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He groomed, God used him to groom that gift, to groom that power. So when she opened her mouth to speak, when she sent him instructions to fast, what did he say in verse 17? It says, so Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. He understood that this time he needed her. He understood that this time he needed to follow her instructions. And he wasn't arrogant about it. There's something about a man when he has a godlike confidence and he is not insecure. He's not insecure. He knows the plan. He knows what's what. He's not carried away by material things. He's not carried away by power. He's not carried away by the praises of people. Hmm. You know, when you keep reading, it's a, it's a, it has 10 chapters, so I'm going to try and wrap this up. If you go to chapter 6, you find that Mordecai really does understand purpose. For example, chapter 6, verse 10. The Bible says, Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have commended. You know, so, so Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Verse 12, afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. You see, he was honored by the king. He was dressed by the king. But in verse 12, it says, afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Even when he was 
marched through the, uh, through the city. Even when Haman was forced to proclaim that Mordecai is being celebrated by the king and has been dressed by the king and has been given a horse by the king and Mordecai is being honored by the king. When all that pomp and glory was done, Mordecai was so down to earth, so confident in God and the confidence God has given him, so focused and not carried away by men and their titles and their idolatry. He didn't want to be idolized. You couldn't move him. You couldn't move his mind. You could not move his spirit. You could not move his thoughts from God and from the plan of God. He was so focused. He wasn't carried away by people and things. He went right back to the king's gate. Why? Because at the king's gate, he gets to see and hear everything. At the king's gate, he gets information. And when he gets the information, he knows how to act. He knows what to do and when to do it. That is a type of confidence that runs really deep. It takes a type of man. There's something about a man, a Mordecai, who <laughs> you can't touch him. You can't touch him. Even his enemies get to know that you cannot touch him. And so Haman, Haman's evil wife and evil friends, even they came to a point in Esther chapter 6 verse 7, Even they came to a point in Esther, Esther, Esther chapter 6, verse 13. No, let's go to verse 12. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered with grief, covered in grief, and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. You will surely come to ruin. You will surely be destroyed, Haman. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. So now even, <laughs> even those who were working with Haman against Mordecai and his people said to him, you know, as evil as we are, as much as we planned this with you, now we're backtracking. Now we're saying, you better leave this Mordecai man alone. There are certain men who get to a point in life with God you better leave them alone. We better leave them alone. <laughs> These I'm talking about the type of men who knows who know how to get on their knees before God, who have built a relationship with Him. Who it's not about the flashiness, it's not about the people, it's not about the numbers, it's not about the title. Ah, they just have this unique untouchable, immovable, steady relationship with God. 
You can see it in them. And they don't show it off. It's just quiet power, quiet wisdom, quiet strength, unmatchable. Because the only person they look up to is God. The only person, the only thing they depend on is God. The only place where they get their wisdom and knowledge and skill and character from is God. You can't defeat them. So even his wife, Haman's wife, says, "Leave you better leave Mordecai alone. Hmm. So to get to the end of this podcast, we see that Esther and Mordecai together succeed in saving their people. The beautiful thing is, even in chapter 7, even in chapter 8, chapter 7, verse 3, you see the grooming and the training that Esther had, which came from Mordecai and then from Haggai, the eunuch. You see how because of the way Mordecai groomed her, she was able to listen to the language of the king, which she learned from Haggai. And you see from chapter 7, Verse 3, when she's ready to approach the king, when she's ready to go in for the kill, she doesn't just barge in and say, hey, king, this is what I want you to do. I know you love me, so just do it for me. No, 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 no. She still submits and she still picks her words. She takes nothing for granted. She goes for his soul where it matters. She goes for his mind where it matters. She goes for his emotions where it matters. She goes in gently but with precision into his spirit where it really, really matters. Look at what she says in chapter 7, verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty. I mean, this is a woman who already has favor with his majesty. But she doesn't take it for granted. She understands the pride of a king. She understands the pride of a man. And I don't use pride in a negative way. Pride can be used in a a positive way in that the realm at which this man is operating in, you can't just talk to him anyhow. His mind will not receive it. His spirit will not receive it. His heart, his soul will not receive it. He has to be spoken to in a certain way. So she says, she speaks the language that his kingship, his majesty's mindset can comprehend and act on. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor in you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had surely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. 
And then king, the king says, you know, he sits up on behalf of Esther after hearing her words. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Verse 6, we're still on chapter 7. Verse 6, Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. You see? And the king got up in rage. But you see how she spoke. And if you look at chapter 8, verse 5, she does the same thing again. She doesn't say, oh, it worked the first time. I don't need to do that anymore. No, wisdom. Chapter 8, verse 5. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regard me with favor and thinks it is the right thing to do, And if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? You see, so now... Now, Esther has revealed her identity as well. Between verse chapter, uh, chapter 7, Esther chapter 7 and, verse, and, and chapter 8, she has now revealed her identity. Now is the time. Oh, how strategic. How smart. Now it's, now it's all bets are off. These are my people. Now it's, I'm going to face you, king but I'm going to face you with your language and in your language. I'm going to speak to you the way you can comprehend and favor me, the way you will comprehend and the way you will favor me. And she did. And she said, you know, this man Mordecai had demonstrated to Esther by raising her when she was an orphan, when her mother and father had died, He demonstrated to her what it meant, what family means, what real love, unconditional love is sacrificial. So here she is asking the king in in chapter 8, verse 5, starting from verse 5. And then on to verse 6, she says, how can I bear to see the destruction of my family? She understood it because Mordecai, he couldn't bear to see her destroyed. He couldn't bear to leave her orphaned. He took her in and took care of her. And now that same spirit is upon Esther. I have to take care of my own. This is what I was born to do. I have to take care of the people that God has brought into my life. This is part of my purpose. How can I bear to see them destroyed? And, and, and by the way, while we're at it, O oh king, these are my people, which makes me what? A Jewish woman. All those time you did not know, but now you know. But she's empowered by God. She's empowered by Haman, but not by Haman. She's empowered by Mordecai. And she learned the culture and the language. And so now it was twofold. Not only was she empowered by Mordecai, now she was empowered by what she had learned from the eunuch 
and what she had learned while in the palace of the king on how to, to, to be with the king. And she put it all together to save her people. Hallelujah. I pray to God that a Mordecai comes into your life and into my life and into the lives of our loved ones. When you look at um, chapter 9, verse 20 to 23. Hallelujah. It says, Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th day, days of the month of Adar, as the time as a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. What a man. And gifts to the poor. That's Mordecai. Even the least of the people got gifts. And because of him, and because of how he groomed Esther, his people could now celebrate. His people could now feast up to the poor. They got gifts. Mordecai. Mordecai. He's a type of man to be remembered. He's a type of man to not be forgotten. In Esther chapter 10, Verse 1 to 4, it says, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. And all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book? Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai, the Jew, was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held high in esteem and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews because he worked for the good of his people and he spoke up for their welfare. Mordecai. Where are the Mordecais of today? God-fearing men who will raise the youth, who will raise a people, who will will and cry out, who will not be afraid to wear sackcloths and ashes, who will forget about their titles about themselves, who will sit at the king's gates to watch, who will sit in the courtyard to watch over who God has given them to watch over, who will insist on their gifts and their talents to come into work when it is time, who will raise people who can say, if I perish, I perish, do or die. God's will must come to pass. God's kingdom must come. Where are the Mordecai's? Not just people making noise, but I mean, men, men who are really grooming 
sons and daughters who are grooming a people. Men who don't forget the poor. Men who can stand up to kings in a strategic manner. Men who will even save kings from the Hamans of this world. Men who will save their people from the Hamans of this world. He says that even in, in Media and Persia, they all knew Mordecai. It's written of him, written of him in their history books. But how much do we talk about Mordecai? Or we should talk about him. And then he what he what he became the second in rank to King Xerxes. Nobody talks about that. We talk about Esther being queen. Esther being queen. What about Mordecai? Second in rank to King Xerxes, a Jewish man. And when I say a Jewish man, what I mean is a nation who should not be at that realm of leadership, a person, a people. So it could be anybody, it could be you and I. We're not meant to be at that level of leadership. But because of the Mordecais who raise us, and because of Mordecai and who he is, he is able to be in that rank. We are able to be in that rank. Right? He was preeminent among the Jews as well. He was preeminent amongst his people, held in high esteem by his people. Now, can you imagine how he and Esther, what we also don't talk about, how he and Esther flowed in the palace, how they ruled together in the palace. In fact, the book of Esther ends with Mordecai, not with Esther. It ends praising Mordecai, not Esther. So I, you know, I, I just had to talk about this. And thank you for your patience. Uh, forgive the background noise and um, jumping from one scripture to another. But I had to talk about this because there are Mordecais out there in our world and we're not honoring them. Or perhaps they've kept silent because of the systems of the world and the way the world is now. The world appears to, or not even just appears to, the world emasculates, goes after men like Mordecai. Because they know, they know that Mordecai will raise an Esther. They know that Mordecai will raise Esthers. And when, you, when, a, when a Mordecai raise an Esther, the systems of this world, the systems of darkness, know that an Esther will stand up and say, if I die, I die. But my people are going to be saved. I was raised for this. Mordecai will remind Esther who she is and what she was raised for, and will tell Esther, perhaps if you forget, if you have forgotten, God will still raise his people. But why allow him to do that when you have been raised? God will still deliver his people. But why don't you allow God to use you instead, Esther? And Esther says, you know, uncle, you're correct. And if I die, I die. But I do this for God. I do this for, 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 for his people. I do this, uncle, for you. Thank you for raising me, Uncle Mordecai, 
the way you did. Thank you for raising me with the skills and the knowledge, the maturity, mental, emotional, and spiritual maturity. Thank you for not allowing me to pay attention to my looks and think that that's all there is to life. Thank you for teaching me not to pay attention to positions and titles and material things as though that is all that is important in life. Thank you for making me see the things that are important. Thank you, Uncle Mordecai. Where are the Mordecais? Come out. We need you. We need you. God bless you. And Mordecai, Mordecai, remember who you are and rise up because there are Esthers waiting for you. There are Esthers who cannot do without you. Esthers who need you in their destiny, in their divine purpose. God bless you, listeners. And um, if we know any fathers and uncles and grandpas and brothers, uh, uh, patriarchs, who we can send this message to, please go ahead and send to them. We need them. We need them. Rise up, Uncle Mordecai. Rise up. God bless you all. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Until next time.